It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. I'm excited to be back in the studio, back on the air after a little uh, taking a week off and being out. Uh, well, went to a new continent, went to uh, South Africa, and got to uh, speak to the great people there. And uh, but I'm happy to be home and back talking with uh, two fantastic guests about talent today. So, talent really uh, here on the show revolves around this idea of what are really talented people doing, and of course, our guests today are really talented. But then also, what are they doing with their talent? Um, how are they managing people? What are the secrets? What are the things they're thinking about? What's on their mind and, and what are they maybe worried about? So all that and maybe what are they reading? Um, this show really looks to have that in-depth conversation where we can talk about those things, share, uh, maybe even disagree a little bit. And hopefully you as the listener can learn and take something back that you can use in your office, with your team, in your company, maybe even at home. Uh, who knows where you can take these strategies? You know, we've had so many wonderful stories uh, over the last five years of the show. Uh, I turned some of them into a book called The Power of Company Culture. It kind of follows my company stories along with really the best of the best from the show. And uh, if you're interested in checking out that book, you can find it on Amazon or wherever you find your uh, online books. I'm sure it's there. Um, the show is every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, we get some of you kind of coming in live, and, and we appreciate that. But most of you actually listen after the fact on iTunes, on IR Podcast, or through iHeartRadio or Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts, we're there. And we'd love to have you subscribe to wherever, whatever service you're getting us through and make sure you you know about the next one. If you have time to rate us, that even uh, is even better. And But the thing that we love to do uh, that's kind of getting more and more traction lately, uh, my, produce, my uh, associate producer, Sarah, has been live tweeting our show. And so if you're following at PeopleG2 on Twitter and use that hashtag, all one word, talent talk, you can follow on what's going on. You can see the best quotes. You can comment, retweet, make suggestions, whatever it may be. That's a great way to interact with the show uh, there on Twitter, whether it's live or after the fact. All right. Uh, my guest today will be uh, Darren George, managing partner of uh, McKenzie and Eason and Associates. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Stephanie Na uh, Navasu, the talent acquisition manager for Bay Cities. Um, but let's go ahead and bring in my first guest. Uh, Darren, welcome to the show. Welcome, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for being on the show. And why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? What should we know about you? And of course, what does your company do um, as well? So we have a kind of a, some context here on where to dive in. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. So I'm uh, originally from Fort Worth, uh, born here, raised here, uh, and absolutely love it. We're, we're one of the fastest growing cities in the nation and uh, very proud to be a part of that growth. 
Um, married with uh, a two, three, and five-year-old, so hardly anything going on at my house. Um, and it started because Ethan in 2004 when I was in my mid-20s, uh, probably too young and dumb to know better, and uh, originally starting out focusing on executive search, and then we moved into uh, opening a consulting side, specifically focusing on talent acquisition, um, hiring, recruitment, talent branding, development, uh, and culture. And then uh, this all led to, in 2018, uh, getting picked up uh, to write a book with two co-authors uh, by Brown Books Publishing, a book called Broken Handoff, which is about why mergers and acquisitions fail. And it's uh, pretty unique in that it's a uh, three authors that come from three different perspectives. One, Seth Gordon, who's a, a mid-market uh, CEO uh, and has done a lot with private equity transactions. Got him Michael Gordon, who's the co-founder of Teladoc and a serial entrepreneur, and then myself, a uh, human capital and culture expert. So one of the uh, kind of was really fascinating to have you on the show because this is something that we've talked about a lot and I want to get your perspective on is, you know, it seems like culture is really left out of the equation so often in M&As. And, you know, maybe that's because you have a bunch of finance people in there or there's too many spreadsheets or maybe it's just not value. But why do you think culture is so rarely considered really in that M&A process? There's a number of reasons. First, the M&A Transaction, the M&A market is, it's a financial, it's a, it's a numbers game. Private equity, venture capitalists, uh, corporate, they're all looking at some sort of growth strategy of either acquiring a company that, you know, helps them in a vertical market or horizontal or, you know, acquiring a company specifically for, for they select that they can grow it, uh, X number of times. The other thing is that culture has always been this, squishy, soft, you know, thing that, that's, that's so hard to quantify. And so because of that, they rarely look at it. It, it, is, it is something that is just now in, in some of the really more progressive private equity companies starting to be looked at. And, and even in corporate transactions, they sometimes give lip service to it, but rarely do they understand and, and really take a look at, okay, will two corporate two cultures merge and how do we do it effectively? And if not, do we walk away with the deal from the deal? And, and so it is, it's rarely looked at in M&As. And, and I think, uh, and we talk about it in the book, but it is one of the main reasons that 70%, and this is such a huge number, that 70% of transactions end up failing in one way because they don't look at culture at all. And uh, Darren, you might be a little bit close to your microphone there. I want to make sure we get a good, clear sound there. But, you know, I noticed that, and again, you sort of brought this up, right? That 70% that fail has something to do with culture. We've certainly seen it's, you know, it's a people, really, it's a people problem. It's a people issue. It's something to do with either the two groups that are coming together don't merge well together. They don't deal with the management structures correctly. They have two different philosophies on how to manage people or how to, to deal with things. And it feels like they just don't, even though the, the, the proof is certainly there, there's certainly, um, we can point to lots of different acquisitions that didn't work that were people sort of failures. It doesn't feel like they ever want to to really, I don't know, deal with it. And you kind of mentioned that lip service to it. But, um, you know, do, do you think that there are some clear examples in failures of, of successful 
our non-successful M&As and maybe the other side, have there been really successful M&As that clearly culture played a big part? I mean, what are you sort of seeing in that realm? Absolutely. Uh, You can look back through history of of tons of transactions where clearly they did not look at uh, any of the culture. Uh, You see it all the time. Uh, A really interesting example, Dr. Pepper bought the uh, soft drink, I think it's uh, called BAI, B-A-I, which is a, a, a antioxidant infusion drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is this, right? Uh, they, they were a, a really neat little startup uh, that was on the East Coast, really forward-thinking, very quick and nimble, uh, very unique culture. And Dr. Pepper was their, was their uh, bottling group. And they, uh, it, it was a, for, from a M&A standpoint, from the numbers, absolutely made sense. It was a very profitable thing for Dr. Pepper to to be their distributor and bottler. Uh, and on the same, so Dr. Pepper did not want to lose that to one of the other distributors and bottlers, Coke or Pepsi. So that worked great. We'll we'll do this. We'll make them part of our our group. And and how it always starts out, they're so unique. We'll just leave them alone. They'll do their own thing. Uh, and and end up probably overpaying, but, you know, brought them into the fold and within six months start exerting pressure of, well, this is the way we do things, right? We want to see a little bit uh, different, you know, uh, improvement on these KPIs, et cetera. So what happens, the CEO is like, you know what, this isn't what I signed up for. So CEO leaves, Dr. Pepper installs their CHRO is the new uh, CEO and president of, of Bi. Well, clearly they did not look long term at what the difference is. I mean, Dr. Pepper is a large corporation, uh, very process oriented, while Bi was completely, completely different, right? There was a problem with looking at long term culture there and what was going to happen. Now you're seeing that, uh, Keurig is being bought, uh, or is buying Dr. Pepper, um, Snapple Group. To, to join those, right? And, and from an M&A standpoint, right, you've got coffee and soft drinks and, and the snack groups and everything. Looks great, but it's that full circle of are they looking at between the two how the culture goes? And it's clearly, I mean, we won't know that for a while, but it's just really interesting where you see uh, a lot of full circle where culture clearly is not looked at in the majority of M&A acquisitions and transactions. Yeah, and I really see that most organizations are either people-focused or spreadsheet-focused. And, it, you know, it can really feel the difference. And when I, it sort of feels like when one, you know, if a spreadsheet-focused group comes in and buys a people-focused group, it's not too long until the spreadsheets take over and all of the people stuff is sort of pushed to the side. And then you start, lo- you know, the change happens and sometimes they can survive that change and transformation and it works. And sometimes it just utterly fails because... They lose all their good people, and, uh, you know, it's a sort of a different focus. Um, you know, how do you go about sort of aligning culture with those business strategies? I mean, clearly it's important we make money. It's clearly that it's important we have KPIs. We have these things. Um, but how do you align them together, do you think? Um, or, or does it matter that they're aligned? Absolutely it does. Uh, I, one of the things that preach all the time. It's just a deeply held philosophy. Uh, 
companies need to align their culture with their business strategies. Your business strategies change, right? Um, as you grow, most companies become have to become a little more process-oriented. Um, so, so you have to make sure your culture is aligning with that, and you are you are being intentional about where your culture is going, um, and it does align with those business strategies. Companies that align their culture with their business strategies are ones that outperform the market, no matter what the market's doing. Right, and we see that over and over again that that those companies that have great culture that focus on their people, where those things are aligned, that they're outperforming. Uh, in the marketplace. And yet so many companies still focus on the non-people stuff or at least don't focus on it in a way that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you think that's just a difference of opinion? Do you think it's ignorance? I mean, on my end, I think it's they don't know that there's a better way to do it. They haven't been taught. They don't. They, they see the best of the best doing it differently, but they don't really know what that means. Um, and so making that change seem, feels impossible. It's like you see someone riding a unicycle and you're like, I can only ride a bicycle. I have no idea how to do that. Um, and so no one's taking that leap of faith to, to try to figure it out. Is that what you're seeing or is there something different to think about? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. One, the majority of your executives, especially when you're doing m and transactions, um, come from a financial background. These guys are very smart, top, MBA schools, Wharton, you name it, uh, and that's what they know. They know numbers. They know growth strategy. They know uh, how to take and, and look to see what businesses they can take and, and, and use with their strategies to grow. What they don't know, and, and oftentimes, and, and this is, I think this is really frustrating. I, I see that HR is making a transition, and they're 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 starting to be welcomed uh, at the in the C-suite by a lot of executives. However, it's it's the majority of organizations are not there. Um, most HRs, unfortunately, still, as I call them, instead of human resources, they're really human rules. It's it's all about compliance in in keeping the organizations behind clean uh, versus how to be a profit center for the organization, how to focus on recruiting the best people, developing the best people internally, and focusing on culture. So if you can do that and you have a great HR that's part of the C-suite, they automatically will bring this to, uh, and if they have the trust of the the C-suite, they'll bring this to it. Those are the organizations you see that you're talking about. They are focused on their people. They have a great culture. And, and tend to be in alignment with their business strategies. Unfortunately, the majority of time what I see is HR is still so steeped in the past uh, of we've always done it this way, and, and it's more about compliance than it is about really being a profit center and, and developing your people and, and finding the best people. Yeah, and, and I've always been of the, the mindset that in most companies, it really needs the culture and that, that direction really needs to come from your C-suite people. And not most people don't have a CHRO. If you do, then that person certainly can take a lot of that responsibility on. But, you know, most organizations, most businesses are not gigantic corporations that, you know, it's going to be the owner, it's going to be the entrepreneur, that, that, that CEO that needs to set that direction. Then HR can be there to help them and help drive that and, and help them row that you know, row the ship to success, but I don't see them in really having the tools or the ability to really, you know, say this is where we need to go. That really has to come from leadership. But I, I guess, you know, once you've kind of figured that out, then you really need a lot of help from your from your CEO, from your HR, from your managers and everyone in trying to figure out how do you interview and how do you bring in 
the right people that fit your culture. I mean, you kind of mentioned your response that that talent acquisition piece is really important. So do you have some suggestions there on how people can think about doing that the right way? I do. Uh, it, it's, I find that it's one of the, the things that most organizations are um, the worst at. They, they, humans are not naturally gifted at interviewing people. Um, and the reason is because most people interview and hire based on likability. Likability should be number 20 on the list of the attributes that you're looking for in, in most roles. We, we've developed an entire process specifically to consult clients on, on how to go out and, and interview and hire the best people. So there's research shows there are three things that help you find the person that's the right fit. One, the structured interview process, which I will tell you 90% of organizations don't know what that means and don't do it. Um, two, using assessments. And three, putting, and this is the one that has the, the, the biggest R factor on, on whether someone uh, is a good fit for your organization, is actually putting them in the interview process uh, in work scenarios that they would be doing for the role that you're interviewing for. Um, and rarely do people do that at all. Um, and then there's a number of other things, you know, that, that we look at. Uh, one, interviewing on the specific, the nuances, the five or six nuances that you're looking for someone, uh, and actually designing questions around that. And then finally, uh, you know, we're just real big on making sure that when you're done with an interview process, that people, you have a, 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 a rigorous uh, discussion amongst your group that's hiring of to advocate for and against the candidates. So you're seeing all different angles. So you're really seeing different viewpoints and deciding, okay, are they the right fit for the job or did they just interview well? I think everybody's been through an interview where they hire someone they really liked and they're like, oh man, they came in and they just really knocked it dead. And then within two weeks of, of them starting, they're like, where's that person that interviewed? Why are they showing up for the job? Um, and we've, we've just done a lot of work uh, to design processes around taking as much bias, and we all have personal biases, out of the interviewing process to hire the right person. Now, once we've hired them, uh, often where I see companies really struggle is in the uh, succession planning uh, process or even just putting a plan together. I mean, I, I, can, I can go to a conference and, uh, you know, curse up and down for an hour and um, I'll get great, re uh, you know, the audience is just fine. I start mentioning succession planning and people get uncomfortable in their seats. Uh, it's, it's amazing how they don't really have a good plan. They don't really have a good idea what they want to do. And yet that's a really big component for what are you going to do with your people? You know, do they want to progress? Do they want to stay where they're at? Um, do people need to come in and work for a company, maybe for a tour of duty and then go and, and be on their way? I mean, as opposed to staying with your company for 30 years. Uh, what, what is sort of your thought on, on how companies should be thinking about this? Yeah, I, it, that's a great question. Succession has, I mean, really has become this difficult discussion nowadays. Uh, and I think for a couple ones, one, companies just aren't very transparent with their people of where they see them, right? And, and often they're afraid that if they mention, mention succession planning, people think that it's based on tenure. Well, I've been here for 10 years. I'm next in line. So, so companies are, are, just get a failing grade for the most part of developing their people uh, for those next roles. So, so 
they haven't been doing that. And what I see in the marketplace is the majority of companies are, are extremely lopsided in, in their ratios. You know, when you're looking at the ratio of who you should be developing and, and promoting internally versus bringing in uh, from the outside, is about 60-40. And what I see is most organizations are 80%, they promote 80 to 90% internally, or they're bringing 80 to 90% of their uh, or their, their, their executive suite from the outside. And, and the reason the ratio is 60 40 is because you want people to, you want people to know, have institutional knowledge. You want people to be able to carry on the culture. You want to bring in some people from the outside. So they're bringing in new, new ideas. You don't have groupthink. And, and oftentimes that's one of the, the biggest issues of succession planning is one, it's, too often based on tenure, and two, there's there's such a huge transparency problem in our in most organizations of really being able to to communicate with their employees of where they see them, uh, what's their what are their goals and aspirations, and where they see them going. Well, that's a, a great point, and uh, there's uh, so many resources and things out there that people can take a, advantage of. Um, which kind of leads us to our next question, which is one of our favorites, and uh, that's, what are you reading right now? Well, um, funny you ask, and when this came up, I actually just got done reading your book, uh, Power of Culture. It's, it's been on my list for some time, and uh, finally got through it. I uh, got to it and got through it uh, actually, what, about four weeks ago, uh, coming back from Colorado. So now I'm actually reading uh, The Outward Mindset, uh, Seeing Beyond Ourselves, uh, it's a book essentially for organizations to, to try to shift the culture from everyone thinking about what do I want, what do I need to, to get my job to get to the next level, uh, to, to, to shift the transition, the mindset to thinking about, okay, what can I do for everyone else, right? If we all think about how we can transition to focusing on whatever everyone else's need, uh, then we can move forward so much faster. Right. What's in it for me versus what's in it for the team or how do we help the team or the company? Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic point. So uh, certainly we'll uh, make sure we share those books. Thank you for sharing those with us. Those are really important to uh, all of our listeners to know what everyone else is thinking about and reading about. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you and your company? So they can find us on our website, mckenzieeason.com. Uh, it's M-A-C-K. Uh, or they can reach us at our toll-free number, 888-662-7043. And I rarely get that out. I'd actually look that up to see what the number was. Uh, <laughs> but those are the two best ways uh, to get in touch with us. Well, Darren, thank you so much for being on the show today, Give us, giving us all your great insights and hopefully our listeners can take something back with them they can use in their careers uh, and in their future experiences. So uh, thank you again for being on the show. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. All right, we'll have to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come right back with my second guest, Stephanie uh, Navasu. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. 
Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, PeopleG2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Darren George. And I didn't say it, but Darren is spelled D-A-R-I-E-N, in case anyone wants to look him up on LinkedIn or wherever. Um, his interview can be found on our podcast as well as uh, the one we're about to do. Probably in the next uh, week or two on iTunes and iHeartRadio, wherever you find your, your podcasts. Don't forget, you can also go to TalentTalkRadio.com. There we have some great resources and links. We also have all of our shows there since the beginning of time, and you can easily search and find people there. Love to have you subscribe and visit there as well. Don't forget to send your questions, your comments, tweets, retweet, whatever you want to do. All of that's happening on Twitter right now. Uh, Sarah Blake, my associate producer, is live tweeting all the best stuff, so... Find us at PeopleG2, um, or you can follow the hashtag Talent Talk, which is all one word, and you'll find us there. So, all right, let's go ahead and get to Stephanie. Uh, Stephanie is the Talent Acquisition Manager for Bay Cities. Uh, and so, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to spend some time with you today. Well, I'm excited to have you as well. Why don't you tell everyone about yourself? What should we know about you? And, of course, what are you doing over there at Bay Cities? All right, awesome. Well, the best way I like to describe myself, I mean, ultimately, titles to me don't mean anything. So I always like to say I'm a millennial thought leader on a mission to elevate the frequency and impact the culture of corporate America. And I get to do that through talent acquisition, talent management, culture strategy, retention, engagement, and training and development. So those are the, some of the things that I'm just really passionate about and have had the opportunity to to do over the last 14 years. I can't believe how fast it's gone. Um, and so most recently, I've been partnered with a company uh, called Bay Cities. We're located in Los Angeles, California, and been partnered with them for the past year and a half. It's been such a whirlwind. Uh, we are a leading manufacturer and designer of uh, point-of-purchase displays and packaging. So I like to call us Southern California's best-kept secret. You've seen our work your entire life. Every time you go to the store, you just didn't know it was us that did it. So, um, And again, really on a mission to, to make sure everybody knows about us because this is a, a really amazing place to be, and I'm grateful to be here. So you're in an amazing place. You're doing amazing things. Uh, you get to be in an amazing city, which I'm not too far from you, being in Orange County. So maybe we could start with how do you think you create a strong and dynamic and amazing comp- uh, corporate culture? Oh, that's such a good question. And really, I mean, ultimately, I feel, you know, first you have to figure out who the company is and what they do and what their culture already is. Because doing one thing uh, for one company in one industry may not necessarily work um, for for the other. So what I've found that works here is, you know, the ability to have a say, the ability to, you know, really be regarded as an expert in what you do, partnership, you know, ownership. And that's not necessarily, you know, owning the company or having stakes in it, but you know, being valued as a business partner, and that's one of the things that Bay Cities does really well is, you know, that open door policy and that, you know, 
if you're working for a company or you're aligned with a company that says, well, that's not how we've done that, or, you know, we've always done it this way, let's stick to that. And I think what makes a really good culture, um, you know, and going into to the future and the next decade is having that openness and that collaborative environment. That seems to work here really well. Yeah, and those are all great points. Uh, the first one that you started with, with that being heard, I mean, that's huge. Um, uh, you know, are we listening to our employees? Are we listening to our clients? And not just... Not just saying, well, sure, I'd be happy to listen. I mean, uh, people often say, oh, I have an open door policy. Yeah, but is anyone walking through that door and actually telling you anything um, it is a whole other issue. So I was, you know, looking at how can we get people to talk? How can we you know, in- implement things inside the organization so we can make sure people are being heard? We make sure they're talking about it. It really, really makes a big difference. Um, what have you found to be maybe successful uh, you know, one of the areas that we sort of look at is uh, recognition and rewards. Uh, there's sort of a real debate. I kind of fall on the um, more let's just thank people for the right way. And there are other organizations that do full-on rewards programs, right, where there's money or gift cards involved. So what have you kind of seen around the rewards and recognitions program area for employees that's working? Absolutely. So just to kind of back up a little bit, um, you know, off of what I just said, I always, when I'm working with uh, my executive leadership team, um, I'm always telling them, listen so hard it hurts. Um, and that's something that has really gone a long way because, yes, you know, you can feel like you have a say, but are people coming into the door? And that's one of the things that we've really stressed here is to listen so hard it hurts and to make that acknowledgement. And if that plan or that idea isn't necessarily going to work now, you know, draft something up for me and let's see what six months down the road looks like. Um, and then that goes into to the recognition. I mean, you know, I know a lot of people you like to go home with, with their quote-unquote trophy every day, so to speak. But what I've found really, and I guess this just comes from my own perspective, but in, in working with my peers and, um, you know, in, within corporate America is, you know, that that simple thank you, that simple, you know, basic recognition does go a long way. People want to know that they're 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 being appreciated. We do something here um, at uh, Bay Cities where we call it the um, the state of the bay, where uh, once a month the entire organization gets together uh, here at corporate headquarters, and then people at all at our other locations dial in, and each department, each exec, you know, from HR to accounting to uh, production, et cetera, will share what's going on within that department from the business perspective. And then um, do the, the, the general recognition if there's something that's going on in a particular department with a specific individual. And when you get to do that company-wide, that goes a long way too. So that's something that we found that um, really works. I mean, again, we have, um, you know, the, the short term and the long term with, you know, yearly bonus plan and then, you know, the long term in regards to particularly us with our employee self-ownership retirement plan. So, um, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to partnership, collaboration, and recognition. And, and so once you've sort of figured that out and you, and you know where you want to go with that as far as how you're going to reward people, you're going to recognize them. It starts to then become, I think, a really important part of your strategy, your talent strategy, and then, you know, moving that into the overall strategic plan. So we were talking with Darren before, and I want to kind of ask you a similar question, is how do you align your talent strategy, your culture, all of that, with your strategic plan for the organization, sort of the, the people part to the business part? Mm, uh, that's like, I think that's my favorite question that I've been asked, really. Um 
ultimately it all comes down to the people. And if we don't have people, we can't keep the business running. And so um, HR here specifically partners with our executive leadership team. Our director of human resources is actually on the executive um, team where we have our overall, quote, unquote, what we call it destination model, uh, our strategic plan of, of where we are now, where we want to be, and how we're going to get there. And so, uh, you know, our, our, leaders, our executive leadership team plans way out in the future and meets on a quarterly basis. And from there, you know, we have our overall strategic goal of where we want to go and what we want to do as a company. And then it breaks down per department. And so how we've really, from the talent acquisition standpoint, been able to partner strategically is to know what those goals are so that then we can do our workforce, workforce planning so that we can department uh, partner with each department, kind of do that skills gaps analysis, kind of get into the trenches with them and really understand what it is that they need, what the efficiencies are and where we're lacking. But then ultimately, um, kind of play both sides in the sense of what we need, where we're going, then when then what does the environment on the outside look like for us so that then we can plan, unite everybody around a strategy, and then build the vision so that we can move forward. So, you know, I guess once you kind of have all that figured out, um, you know, then you got to really start to develop, you know, the right sort of process to how do you attract the right people in, right? If you de- you decided that roadmap, you know what your culture is going to be, you know what you want it that that destination is going to be. But then what is, what is your thoughts on how do you bring the right people in? And then once they're in enable that they're able to still to grow and, and work inside of the organization. Um, so uh, there's a couple of steps behind that. Um, again, we're a little bit different in the sense that we are an employee owned company. So our talent acquisition strategy isn't just to fill a seat. We're not looking to get a body in there to, to meet a need or to do a job. We're an employee-owned company, so we're really coming at it from the standpoint of we're looking for our next business partner. And so mm-hmm. what qualities and uh, capabilities and, you know, KSAs does our next business partner look like and what do we want them to embody? So we're looking for individuals that have a sense of ownership, that kind of have that entrepreneurial, you know, standpoint as opposed to, you know, I'm an, I'm an IT uh, support and that's all I do. But coming from it from a standpoint of, you know, uh, IT keeps the business running. If the business isn't running, we're not making money. How can I fix this problem now and, and going from there? And so that's the kind of, um, you know, mindset that we're looking for. Uh, so I like to call it patient urgency because not everybody's going to have that mindset, right? So we're looking for that special genesis qua. From there, internally, how we get them up to speed and ramped up and, and all of that is through our 100-day training plan that um, I get the opportunity to oversee as well. And that's full immersion into not just their department, but through the entire organization as a whole. As a whole, Because at the end of the day, they're, they're a business owner who just happens to do accounting or just who happens to do sales or who happens to do, you know, whatever that position it is that they need. So that gives them the opportunity to have the full immersion to see, you know, how they fit into the entire model as a whole so that when they do go back to their seat and when they do start to do what it is that they need to do, what I like to call their zone of genius, they're able to work with everyone else to kind of build that full cohesive unit. And it's a great way for them to fully immerse within the culture of not just the organization, but with each department individually. 
Yeah, and that's so, so important. Um, and, you know, if you can really get people to connect in the right ways, uh, and I think it's really fascinating that you have an employee-owned company because that is certainly different than what most companies are dealing with. And it does add that, I guess, a different layer of permanence and partnership. Um, if you're going to bring somebody in, then uh, I'm assuming if they didn't work out, it's a little bit harder to, to, to make that change as well. You know, one of the areas I know you're sort of focused on, and this this may be sort of helping you in that overall approach for culture and what you're trying to do is is leading the wellness program there at Bay Cities. Um, in the last year, it's been fascinating for me to really hear from privately from a lot of people in HR saying that wellness is their giant pain in their butts, that they are, it's all well-intended, but they've really been struggling with sort of all of the effects, all of the unintended consequences of a lot of the wellness things that they've been trying to do. Uh, I wonder if you might share your program, the impact on it, and, and whether or not you're seeing it, you know, having a really positive um, overall impact, or are you seeing some growing pains there as well? That's a, that's a really good question. I, for a fact, love um, our wellness program, and not not just necessarily because, you know, I lead our, our, mon- our monthly lunch and learns, um, but you know, so many studies show that, you know, everything is connected. Mindset is connected to health, is connected to your energy, is connected to the passion that you have in your work. And so we've kind of all encompassed our wellness program to not just, you know, eating right and exercising, right? We all know that's what it's going to take for us to be healthy. But what is it going to take for us to be healthy employee owners? What is it going to take for us to be excited about waking up every morning and coming into work? You know, because you may ultimately love what you do all day, every day. I mean, it's still work, right? And so that's kind of what we've, what we've included in our, our wellness program is not just, again, the exercise and the diet, but working on the mindset technique, working on, well, how can I rephrase this? Or working on, well, I've, I'm experiencing this issue with work. Uh, you know, what are some things that I can do? Okay, I can take a deep breath. I can, I can, you know, meditate for a few moments. And that's really something that we've been focused on in our wellness program. Um, you know, and, I, and I've got to tell you, I've had, you know, over the past year, so many of our employees email me or, or you know, pull me to the side privately and say, gosh, you know, that simple breathing like you recommended uh, like helped me with this issue. Like, thank you so much. And really it comes down to finding the right individual to lead that program. We've partnered with some, uh, you know, third-party vendors that has given us tips and tricks on what we can use, which has been extremely helpful um, because I am in no way an expert uh, when it comes to uh, wellness. But there's some things that we have implemented in that regard. We also have an EAP program that um, has been great um, for, you know, our employees. And um, and then, you know, fun, fun things, too, in regards to we like to do uh, what I call, you know, uh, a summer, uh, healthy selfie, you know, so we, we, we include games into it. We, um, we have a healthy breakfast every Friday, you know, to kind of just encourage, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, we all want to be the best we can be and we all want to show up 100% every day. And, and in order to do that, health, wealth, mind, body, spirit have all got to be in alignment. Well, I'm glad you're able to uh, find some success with that uh, and aren't running into some of the traps that we've seen uh, some of the other leaders in this space kind of fall into. Um, you know, some of the 
I shouldn't say funny, but sort of, you know, unexpected ones. Like, you know, everyone said they wanted standing desks. They got them all standing desks. And then, you know, everyone was complaining that their, their knees hurt, their feet hurt, their back hurts. And then people were missing work because they were standing all day and they didn't realize how an impact they may have on them. And so sort of implementing some of those things that people sometimes say they want something. And then when they get it, they maybe didn't really want it or didn't really ever uh, know they wanted it. Right. We actually rolled out the stand up desk. Um, last year, uh, per department, it was, you know, raise your hand if you want one and we'll get you one. And, um, I, you know, I myself experienced that at first. I was like, oh, wow, you know, it was great to stand up, but oh, why am I sore? You know, and that's just something that is, you know, you got to get used to it. It's like when you're doing a new exercise at the gym and you realize that you, you were using body parts that you never really used before and you're sore. So because of the fact that a majority of us in the workforce are used to sitting down for eight plus hours a day, um, you know, standing up for an hour or two, you know, we're not used to that. And so it's just a matter of, you know, coming at it from a mindset or a different perspective. And, you know, I, I, when I'm whenever I'm out and about walking, you know, I'll say, oh, hey, let's do a, a stand up desk challenge. Uh, you know, we're very competitive here. So we, we like to do that. But in, in regards to the stand up desk and complaining, I haven't I haven't heard or experienced that myself internally here who knows though they may not be telling me well good i mean it, but sound like you asked people to raise their hands if they wanted it by department and so you rolled it out slowly so people probably had time to think about it to talk to other people who had tried it as opposed to i think some organizations just go too fast right oh standing desk sure we'll get everyone has a standing desk there you go and then they went well not everybody really wanted it right or not everybody was ready for it um and so i think it sort of sounds like you rolled it out in a better way as opposed to what i've seen in some other organizations um, and I think the to, trick there is, oh, sorry, is doing it slowly and rolling it out in a way. You know, I know a lot of us get really excited and it's like, boom, let's go. But it's like the same thing with surveys. Don't roll out a survey unless you're ready for the responses and then you're ready to actually put something mm-hmm. into action. I, I like to call it baby steps, one foot in front of the other. Yeah, absolutely right. I can't agree more. Uh, well, I'm sort of wondering maybe if you could kind of, put your futurist hat on here for a moment and wondering, you know, as looking from the recruit recruitment side of it, we're on talent and where do you think maybe some of your biggest challenges or opportunities are going to be in the coming years and really continuing to find that right talent that's, you know, the, the top people for your organization? That's such a good question. And it's something that I think about on the daily, just because of the fact that, you know, unemployment has been extremely low and, you know, it has been difficult to find the right fit, um, you know, for the position, you know, all the, for all of the stars to align. Um, I think as we are experiencing now, you know, with, with the baby boomers exiting the workforce, um, there is going to be a huge, going to be a huge skills gap. Um, and, um, what we're doing internally is, you know, we're, we're partnering, you know, leaders with, you know, the next up and coming and we're, you know, going through each department and we're putting manuals together and we're kind of being proactive when it comes to that regard on, on the, on the next level is, you know, the, the new generation that's coming in and even with millennials and, you know, we've been in, you know, we've been here for, you know, in the workforce for the past 14 years, but it's a very entrepreneurial type of nature. It's that side gig, um, you know, mindset, or it's, uh, I'm going to come here and I'm going to learn all I can. And then, you know, in five, six years, I'm going to start my own business, um, so to speak. So it's navigating through that. And I think that 
Um, you know, for for me being here at Bay Cities and the fact that we're employee owned, it puts us in a good position um, to be able to to get our name out there and and to recruit and to find the talent that really has that business mindset. But um, you know, we've we've had great success with you know. <laughs> grassroots recruitment, going to the universities, building relationships with the career development centers there. We have a very strong internship program in which we, um, you know, go to all of the career fairs at our local universities. And um, I, I like to call it my minor league team. You know, we bring them in, we coach them, we teach them, we train them. At the same time, they're facilitating a need that we have. Um, and if the stars align and graduation comes, then, you know, we like to move forward through the process and call them up to the major leagues. But, um, you know, building our, our strong uh, internship program and, of course, developing uh, a leadership training program within the organization for, um, you know, our, our mid-level management is, is really what's going to get us, um, you know, into the future. Absolutely. And I, uh, I think you kind of have the right approach there. And that's going to certainly be something that, you know, it's ever changing, but we want to think about. And some of the ways that we, I know I like to try to stay on top of things is by, you know, reading books. And I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us. <laughs> yeah, actually. I mean, I'm an avid reader. I believe, you know, leaders are readers. Um, I'm currently studying for my uh, SHRM certification, so uh, I'm not reading a book right now, but I actually finished two um, earlier this year. One is The High Potential Leader by Ram Charan. Um, it's a fantastic book for how to grow fast, take on new responsibilities, and really make an impact, um, not just from an individual contributor standpoint, but from a management and executive uh, standpoint in identifying your high potential leaders and growing and developing them as well. It's a fantastic read. And then, I'll, of course, Grit by Angela Duckworth, uh, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. Um, I think that it's something that, I mean, even myself experienced, you know, with millennials is we, we want it now and, you know, that instant gratification. And um, it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears uh, to grow and to develop. And, you know, if you're willing to stick with it, you know, it's going to happen. So you got to have that grit. Well, you mentioned a lot of great things here on the show today. I really appreciate you being here. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about you, learning more about what Bay Cities does? What's the best way for them to find you? Well, I am very easily to be found. Uh, my last name is very rare, so I can uh, be found via Twitter, Instagram, at Stephanie Navasu. The same thing with LinkedIn. Um, and I can be contacted uh, through our Bay Cities website as well, bay-cities.com. Bay-Cities.com. Well, fantastic. Steph, thank you again so much for being on the show today. Hopefully our listeners learn something they can take back into their careers, into their companies, into their teams, maybe even back to home. Uh, but I really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to connect with you. All right. Next week, my guests will include Jen Spencer, the founder of The Creative Executive, and Stephen Sisler, the president of Behavioral Research Group. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.